Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today... With my co-host, David Blackman, we have a great show lined up. We're going to bring in Michael Stoppard, who is the Chief Strategist, Global Gas, and Vice President of IHS Market. First, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Bindel is the feature of the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Very, very interesting guy. Basically saying that Shell industry must change to survive, but will the industry listen? It's a great article. You've got to read all about it. If you want more information on Shell Magazine or to read the cover story, please visit shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Let me tell you about two upcoming mixers. First mixer is set for September 7th at the Hilton Doubletree Sky Lounge in Midland, Texas, as well as we have September 22nd, a mixer happening in Houston, Texas. Huge Landing Boulevard in the Woodlands is where that mixer will take place. To get tickets for either one of these events or for both, please visit shellmag.com and get your tickets there. And be sure to join us for the seventh annual Casa Golf Tournament, Crude Association of San Antonio. It is set for August 27th at the beautiful JW Marriott in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit the banner ad on Shell Magazine's website. That's shell, S-H-A-L-E. MAG.com. And now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host and the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. It is, and I'm so excited because we have a great show lined up for our listeners. We're going to bring in the CEO of Howard Energy, Mike Howard, as well as Jeff Pollock, who is the Chief Strategist and Sustainability Officer of the Porter Corpus Christi for a brand new announcement on blue hydrogen. So it's a definitely a show that our listeners don't want to miss. But let's catch up with oil prices before we bring them on the show. They dropped significantly over the last two weeks. What the heck is going on now? Yeah, uh, gosh, they've fallen like uh, almost uh, 18% really in two weeks since the 1st of August. Uh, There's several things happening there. The first is at OPEC Plus, as they had agreed in mid-July, added back 400,000 barrels of oil per day onto the market. And so that increased supply uh, pretty substantially. You have President Biden trying to pressure OPEC plus to put even more oil onto the market. And the market saw that and and kind of overreacted to it because OPEC plus ended up saying, no, we're not going to do that. We have a plan and we're sticking to it. Uh, And then of course, the other thing happening is, is ongoing fear uh, related to COVID and, and you know, outbreaks in several states uh, of the Delta variant and, and all of that. And so there's a growing level of fear in the market that some of these governors are going to start shutting their state economies down like they did last year, even though doing that didn't really have any real effect. Mm-mm. So it's just, it's a, it's, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty in the oil markets and, and market traders you know, they just hate any uncertainty in their lives. And and so, frankly, I still think they're overreacting to all of this. But, uh, 
you know, it's what they do. And uh, I suspect we'll see the price, you know, continue on a, it may level off here next week, or it might just continue on a, on a downward trajectory for another week or two until people realize that they're overreacting. Right. And you know what? They do that a lot. I just kind of picture a visual they of these do. people with their heads exploding all the time. And it's I can't crazy. imagine what their wives, I can't imagine. Yeah, what their spouses I don't know go through with somebody like yeah. that. Like, Jesus, <laughs> you have a very thin skin. Uh, Despite the negative news on oil prices, J.P. Morgan issued a new report last week that projects are pretty bright in the future for oil and gas. So right now you can imagine the greenies heads are exploding. Um, And this is for decades to come. So the and and obviously it's because there's just going to be a demand for energy. I don't know how come they don't put this two, you know, these things together. But the report appears to reflect that there are many things that. We have been telling um, our listeners all along, talk to me about the report. and Why are we going to be dependent on oil and gas for decades to come? Right. And, and you're right. I mean, it's it's the same things you and I talk about. It seems like every week, you know. Um, Thank God that, for this show. <laughs> yeah. You know, people need to um, take all of this hype in the media about this. You know, the energy transition is a thing. Okay. But you need to take all the hype about it with a grain of salt because uh, we're not going to go to electric vehicles by 2035 in this country. It's physically not possible. We're not going to go to an all renewable energy power grid because renewable energy can't do that. It's Mm -hmm. not capable of doing that. Uh, We're going to need to consume oil and natural gas and its, its products and all the plastics and other products that are made from it for many decades to come. And, and that's because our population is growing globally and all of these wonderful little new devices that, that we buy every, every month or every Christmas uh, require dramatically more energy every year. And so demand for energy of all forms is continuing to increase and will continue to increase you know, through at least 2050 and and probably longer than that. And J.P. Morgan, in its report, correctly points all of that out and correctly points out the fact that we're going to need to use increasing levels of oil and natural gas for several decades to come. And, and, you know, for at least the rest of your and my lifetime. And that's that's reality. That's reality. Yes. Don't buy the fantasy, buy the reality. It's shocking. You know, you have this big CES conference that occurs in Vegas every year. It's one of the Mm -hmm. largest attended. All of that new technology, everything you're talking about is going to be energy required, plus all of our medication, all of pharmaceuticals. Everything is created by a derivative of oil and gas. The mask, these pandemics. It's just crazy to think that that people don't understand you need energy. Yeah, the media doesn't understand it. Media doesn't tell them that. Well, they're reporting it, though, and they should understand what they're reporting. So much (laughs) for journalism. (laughs) Finally, let's get an update on the Biden administration's ban on federal leasing. There was a new lawsuit filed by 11 of the industry, the oil and gas industry's trade associations this past week. Give us some details on that. Yeah, uh, and so, of course, what, as you and I talked about the first of the year when Biden said this was going to only last 30 days, we said, no, it's going to last at least the rest of this year and probably for four years. That's the plan. That's what they want to do. Now, that's patently illegal, uh, but that's what they're trying to do is just extend it uh, through the duration of this administration. 
Uh, but the law is not on their side and, and the industry knows that the Administrative Procedures Act has all kinds of requirements in it. The Federal Lands Leasing Act has all kinds of requirements in it and that the, the Biden administration is currently in violation of. Uh, these industry groups uh, understand the law and they have good lawyers and they filed a lawsuit in Louisiana federal court that they will win. Um, but, you know, hey, I don't know what difference it's going to make because the industry has already won two different federal lawsuits in federal court, ordering the administration to resume its, its leasing program and the, the administration refused to do it. So when you have uh, an administration that uh, is happy to, to, I guess, be an outlaw administration and ignore the orders of the, the federal courts. Uh, I don't know what the industry can do about that, but, you know, you have to keep trying. Uh, yeah, you, we can't just stop. And that is an interesting challenge for the oil and gas industry is what <laughs> really you do is. with them. Um, it you know, really is. You know, we've, we've watched over this past week the Afghanistan fiasco occurring. And I'm just curious, as, as sad as this is and as crazy as this is, and, um, you know, this is just disgustingly terrible what's happening. It is. It's tragic. This administration is unstabilizing the Middle East again. Again. Um, do you think, where was this going? Was this, I personally think there's there's a reason behind it, um, and it might be, let's get back into a real war because there's billions of dollars to be made. But my question is, is this going to affect the oil and gas industry again and the um, price of commodities, or it, is, does it really not have an impact if we're going to get ourselves it, back it, into that situation? As, as, as long as it's isolated to Afghanistan, it doesn't spread throughout the, the Middle East, uh, which I don't think we can trust this administration to prevent that kind of a spread, um, then it probably isn't going to have any real impact on the oil business. Afghanistan doesn't have much of an industry and, and doesn't really impact oil prices. But if the unrest spreads as it has before into Iraq and Syria and, and Iran and, and other parts of the Middle East, then yes, it, it could definitely have a real impact. And, uh, and what are your thoughts you know, on China going down there and meeting with the Taliban you have well, discussed that there are precious minerals yeah. there. What's all? Yeah, I mean, Talib, uh, uh, Afghanistan is is really home to an extraordinarily uh, wealth of underground mineral resources, including lithium and cobalt and and other critical me metals that are going to be crucial. They're they're crucial to EVs. They're crucial to wind and solar and all other technology, frankly. And so, yes, China is going to step right into the vacuum we're creating in Afghanistan, and they're going to form partnerships with the Taliban to produce those those minerals and, and corner the market there, which is, you know, what they've been doing in other parts of the world for the last 30 years. And, and our country just sits back and, and allows it to happen. Right. And so that's just another tragic outcome of this catastrophe that's happening over there. With this administration. And, you know, both yeah. countries are well known, well, not countries, but Taliban and China for all these human rights violations. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the only thing I don't understand is I don't think China particularly likes Muslim religion. So it's interesting to see how that's going to work. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they're enslaving their, their own uh, Muslim people in, right. in China. Right. And, so uh, that's interesting to see them. how that's going to work. But yeah. that's, that is all the time we have for this segment. But coming up, we will be joined by Michael Stoppard, who is the chief strategist, Global Gas and Vice President of IHS Market. You're listening to In the Wolf Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. Now, it's time for us to welcome on our guest today, David Michael Stoppard, who is the Chief Strategist, Global Gas, and Vice President of IHS Market. Michael, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to the conversation. It's great to be here. Well, we love having IHS Market on our show. You guys are such experts and a lot of uh, white papers you guys produce on things that are happening in the oil and gas industry, as well as renewables and things like that. And so we're excited to have you on the show, as well as having IHS Market, such a leader in uh, advice and being able to put out papers that really um, are pretty accurate to what's happening in the area of energy. But before we get started, let me have you please tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about IHS Market, so our listeners know specifically uh, what company IHS Market is. Sure, I'd be happy to. I think I'd like to take you way back to how I started and got into the <laughs> That, that goes back some 30 years now, where I got a job as a research assistant for a leading oil expert at Oxford University, and he asked me to research the natural gas business. And I was a little bit disappointed because I said, no, uh, I want to work in the oil patch. And, <laughs> no, no, no I, I know the oil patch, but the oil patch is asking me lots of questions about natural gas, and I don't know anything about it. Um, so I need someone to do some research and we need together to learn about it. And that's how it's been uh, for the last 30 years. Five years later, I joined CIRA and started to collaborate with those wonderful colleagues at Cambridge Energy Research Associates, including Dan Jurgen. And then we became uh, part of IHS Market, where I oversee our regional and interregional gas analysis. So there you have it in a nutshell. Well, we've, we've had Daniel Jurgen as a guest on as well with his recent sure. book reviewing that. Um, and we've had a few other uh, guests on the show from IHS Market. Every time you guys release a really great article we want to cover, uh, we ask you guys to come on. And, of course, uh, Sarah Week, if if you're familiar with Sarah Week, it's just the granddaddy of them all, of, of really a great event, well worth the money to attend and, and, and hear all of the experts, speakers, and of course, well, you guys bring in world-class yeah. leaders as well. You know, it, it's a great uh, event to attend. You recently published a new report titled The Sustainability Flame, The Role of Gas in Net Zero. Uh, that's the title. And that's kind of self-explanatory. But talk to me a little bit about IHS Market's belief 
that this is the right time to be exploring this particular po- uh, topic. Everyone is hearing um, the buzzword net zero, and I think yes. a lot of people struggle with well, what does this mean and how how does this get implemented. So, tell us a little bit about your report. Well, one thing that's really struck us over the last eighteen months is that while we've been dealing with a short term crisis, the the, co- the crisis, the pandemic, the COVID crisis. I think it's been amazing to see how governments and policymakers and corporates, companies, have also had this focus on the long term, this focus on the decarbonisation campaign, the focus on what to do about climate change. And as you said, that focus on on climate change and on decarbonisation has sort of a new mantra that the, the net zero has become the aim and the aspiration in many regions around the world. Really a bit of a surprise to me that this would happen at a time when we were dealing with a short-term a short-term crisis. But the two things really developed very strongly over 2020. And we've seen, oh, I think now over 70% of the world's population and GDP in regions of the world that have made some commitment to net zero. So we felt it really was the time um, to address this issue with a very specific angle. Yeah, it has been really interesting how this is all developed this year, Michael. I, I agree with you. It's, it's uh, you know, I think it's been, uh, has a large part to do with the with the, the Biden administration coming into office uh, and refocusing, you know, America's energy policy. And, and one of the things, um, you know, that we've done in the United States really, uh, during the course of this century, uh, but mainly over the last decade is, we've achieved tremendous reductions in our own emissions here in the US, mainly through replacing coal fired power plants and and power generation with with natural gas power plants, which, you know, have so much less uh, emissions than than coal does. Uh, Secretary uh, Kerry last week or week before last said, he thinks there, there's also an opportunity to do the same thing in other countries. I think he was was talking about Russia specifically, but uh, you know, we, we still have a lot of countries relying on coal. Isn't there an international opportunity to do the same thing and, and achieve reductions with natural gas? Well, David, I so strongly agree with that sentiment, really. Um, I'm based here in London, UK, and we've done the same thing. I believe among the OECD countries, the United Kingdom will argue that it's seen some of the greatest reduction in emissions since the 1990 date. And that is a result of a number of factors, but moving from coal to natural gas is absolutely one of them. You in the United States have seen a similar a similar phenomenon moving along in some ways a similar trajectory. And yes, it is one of the, I believe, one of the most important fast acting tools that we have. Um, there is scope in Russia, um, but I think the main opportunity and a huge opportunity is across Asia. I mean, Asia is the continent based, uh, based on coal for power generation. Yeah. And natural gas is seen as something very clean burning and very favorable over that. It's kind of strange, Michael, because, you, you, you know, it is favorable, but yet uh, we struggle, I think, here in the United States that um, there is such discussion around 
uh, flaring and methane that it kind of tends to take away and withdraw from how really potentially great natural gas is as a solution if we're going to talk about climate change and, and the environment. When we get back from break, uh, I do want to get back on the topic of Asia, China, their coal power plants that they're bringing online. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Roseland Oil and Gas is excited to bring you the third annual South Texas Oil and Gas Convention, September 15th through 16th at the Henry B. Gonzalez Center in San Antonio, Texas. This will be a huge networking opportunity for the oil and gas industry. Does your company offer a service, product, or equipment for the oil and gas industry? Well, you want to sign up today to exhibit or attend at roselandconsulting.com. roselandconsulting.com or give Roseland a call. 903-787-7544. 903-787-7544. Hey you, do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash TEAK and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Michael Stoppard, who is the Chief Strategist Global Gas and Vice President of IHS Market. Michael, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the role that flaring has placed uh, on, on natural gas and the topic. And David, I know you you, you were going to ask a question pertaining to China. Yes. Uh, yeah, China, um, and, and you started, I think you, you mentioned Asia and the opportunity there with coal and natural gas in, in China. Uh, continues to, to build new coal plants. And, and I don't understand why, I mean, they have over a hundred new coal plants on the books right now planning to be built. And they are also, uh, the Chinese government has also formed partnerships uh, internationally is funding something like 175 additional coal plants in countries like Turkey and, and in the Middle East. And uh, what what is it that pre- is preventing China I mean, and you may not have, have looked at this during your research, but if you did, uh, what prevents China from moving to natural gas now rather than continuing to build all these new coal plants? I think the first thing I'd say, David, is that if you, I mean, you're, you're, of course, you're right about those big coal expansion numbers, but if we're talking natural gas, we'd also be talking big expansion numbers. If we were talking nuclear or solar, we'd also be talking big expansion numbers. All the numbers are large um, when we're talking China. But I guess the key difference um, that I see between what we discussed before the break with the United Kingdom experience and the US experience is that China has quite a high level of dependency on imports of gas despite their own um, their own production, which is not insignificant. Yeah. We actually just produced another report last week pointing out that in the second quarter of this year, 
China reached a record level of gas import dependency at 48%. So just shy wow. of half its gas. So because that's a huge difference from what you've experienced in the US with the indigenous shale revolution, or even what we had in the UK with our strong North Sea production. So right. I think always have to bear that in mind. They do see coal as the energy resource that's under their feet and LNG is the imported product. And this is something I think that our media doesn't talk about enough, isn't it? The, the, the fact that energy needs, not just in China and India, but all over the world, demand for more energy just continues to grow at an almost exponential rate, correct? Our energy continues to grow. Um, and uh, particularly electricity, I think that's always worth emphasizing. Remember, uh, taking us out of the oil patch a little bit here, but remember that electricity is expected to grow, has been growing, and will grow a little faster than we expect for oil, gas, coal, or energy as a whole. So there's this real desire for electricity, and the question is, how can you produce that electricity? There are still, across much of the uh, emerging and developing world, no, too many people with no access to commercial energy and to electricity. And so cost and affordability is another key issue. And uh, coal does, um, you know, coal does score well in terms of right. affordability and practicality. I think, though, what's, uh, and this is just a statement coming yeah. from me, that I think what is also kind of alarming is the fact that, you know, China is putting all of these coal coal mines online, and yet we have such discussion on global, uh, our climate change and the Paris Co Climate Accord and uh, adherence to it, and we see other countries moving in that direction, yet uh, China seems to be the only country that no one seems to be questioning, uh, is there no other alternative that you guys can look towards of being a little more greener yourselves? Uh, and that's probably a, a totally different show, but I wanted our <laughs> listeners to understand how much they're bringing online versus the United States and other countries really trying to do um, their very best to make sure that they limit or, or start removing those and putting uh, cleaner burning alternatives uh, or cleaner burning or cleaner energy sources. Just, I think we need to accept that there's got to be a limited role for coal if we want if we want to be serious. Right. about yeah. decarbonization, right. reducing emissions. And it's been said, I think, very well that if you have a policy of coal and renewables, that's really like having a diet of ice cream and salad and ice cream. <laughs> there you go. Thank yeah, you for saying that, Michael, because I'm like scratching exactly. my head. Am I the only one, uh, you know, are we the only ones on this show that, that see the, the, the problem here? When we come back from break, I want to drill down a little further into y'all's report. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210 210- 471-1923 and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com.
And we're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Michael Stoppard, who is the Chief Strategist uh, Global Gas and Vice President of IHS Market. Michael, before the break, we kind of covered uh, a variety of things, but I do want to get back to the report that IHS Market released, uh, the sustainable flame, the role of gas in net zero. And we know that net zero has been used a lot uh, by this administration, and a lot of companies are talking about net zero and how they're going to get there, a lot of the operators. Let's drill down a little bit more. Your report potentially, uh, or the report talks about the potential for extending the benefits of natural gas and long-term by repurposing natural gas infrastructure to uh, other uses. So give us some examples of how, you, how you're how you giving um, in your report how companies can repurpose natural gas to, of course, help in the environment and our net zero quest. Well, for me, this is really about underground pipelines, um, and it's, about, it's driven really by nimbyism. I mean, here in Europe, and I know it's not so different over in the United States, it's becoming harder and harder to get permitting for any pipeline or indeed any infrastructure um, projects. But we have this asset in the ground. Uh, we have a, a huge pipeline assets across Europe, across uh, North America. We must make use of them rather than phase them out. Now, it is possible to convert the, we, we, we can blend, uh, other forms of low carbon gas like hydrogen into natural gas, or we can convert completely. We can coat the inner side of pipelines. Um, there are various things we can do. All this is a little bit cutting edge. We do need to explore the practicalities. There's a research, all sorts of research programs going on. I think the DOE and the Gas Technology Institute, for example, have a major initiative looking at this, which will report, um, I think, early next year. And so we're going to learn a lot more about it. But, Kim, the basis here is to say, for goodness sake, in a world where it's difficult to build something new, let's make use of something that's no disturbance to anybody. It's already there. It can't be seen. It's underground. And it's an extremely efficient way of moving energy around. So let's stop thinking of them as natural gas pipelines, or oil pipelines. Let's think of them as energy carriers. Yeah, critical infrastructure, basically. Um, Absolutely. And you talk about NIMBYism, Michael. I, I've, I've uh, written a lot this year about how NIMBYism doesn't just impact the oil and gas business. It also impacts the renewables business, um, particularly where critical minerals are concerned. And I, I, I think, and, and you tell me if this is wrong, but uh, I, I think that the U.S. is... Uh, unwillingness, frankly, to, to permit mines, just as we have a, a reluctance to permit pipelines, it, it potentially really is going to extend this timeline for the transition and getting to net zero. Um, uh, do y'all see the, a similar kind of issue uh, uh, during your research at, at IHS well, Market? Yeah, absolutely, David. That, you know, the energy transition requires significant investment in mining. Yeah, we heard that recently at Sarah Week when we talked about the importance of copper and other 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 metals, which is very interesting to hear. But I, I'd also point out another problem with renewables and NIMBYism, and that is um, an electrification system based on renewable energy assumes a huge build out in transmission wires. Yeah, we have a hard time seeing how that's going to happen. <laughs> the underlying report is, well, we do actually have a network 
Um, and it's the underground pipeline network, which is going to be easier to use than to build out a whole new transmission network. And it's a network that was designed to meet the needs of heat, um, which the electricity network has not been uh, designed for. So yeah. back to the idea of repurposing, I think, David. I thought it was kind of ironic that the infrastructure bill that, that just passed had $75 billion earmark for, for the build out of new transmission lines. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the list of solar and wind power projects that those lines are supposed to service, most of them are not even, in, they don't exist currently. And, and many of them are not even on the books to be developed. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, the, the internals of that infrastructure bill were, were truly kind of wild when you really looked into to the stuff that was funded. And you got to wonder about the permitting of those two and, yeah. you know, where yeah. are our environmentalists and our uh, <laughs> organizations that are very key about endangered species, the way that they follow the pipelines, they should be following these transmission lines. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about blue hydrogen. Paul, Michael, tell our listeners what is blue hydrogen. Then after we come back from break, we'll get into a little bit more about the future of that. So clearly there's a this is a fairly new it's been around for a while but just want to make sure that our listeners understand what blue hydrogen is so we already produce hydrogen from uh mainly from coal today and that's known as gray hydrogen um but now we have this idea that blue hydrogen normally produced from natural gas but using carbon capture technology that's what defines blue hydrogen and this way we can capture the majority of the emissions, or at least that's certainly the intention, the idea, uh, and use natural gas to turn it into hydrogen and, and use that uh, as, a, as a clean burning. And, and transport them through these pipelines as, as your report and what you guys are recommending, which seems to be a real solution in, when you think about how much pipeline is, is actually laid all over. And, and you're right, we don't probably need to... Uh, build anything new we just need to find a great way of being able to transport it and uh, pipelines are still the safest way uh, and the most uh, environmentally friendly way to uh, transport anything and it, it does seem like a great opportunity to repurpose um, when we get back from break I, I want uh, to get into a little bit more of the blue hydrogen on uh, what is IHS markets view of how how much will we really get into this blue hydrogen. And why I say that is because there's already a couple of companies that are coming out with some partnerships in place yes. of this. And we're getting ready to, to interview a few of those companies too, or at least one of them, to talk about this new partnership. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. 
Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founder Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to on the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Michael Stopper, Chief Strategist, Global Gas, and Vice President of IHS Market. Michael, before the break, we were talking a little bit about blue hydrogen and, and the repurposing, if you will, by y'all's report. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, as we start seeing you know, climate change, the lobbying that's going on around it, what does IHS Market really feel the best solution for uh, using things like blue hydrogen where does this go does this like a really viable for the future type of energy that we'll be seeing oh yeah i mean one of the fundamental thoughts that we have is that we can't depend on percent electrification so this comes back to the idea of using pipes of using uh, molecules as well as electrons and blue hydrogen and green hydrogen, which is hydrogen made from renewable electricity, in our opinion, both have a very important role to play. Um, but I think green hydrogen will take longer to scale up when the blue yeah. hydrogen can have a bigger impact earlier on. Yeah, uh, uh, Michael, uh, Cornell University, um, uh, a couple of professors there who have long been longtime opponents of the natural gas industry, uh, Robert Howarth and uh, another one whose name I'm forgetting, uh, released a study last week claiming that that the emissions uh, from the creation of blue hydrogen actually exceed somehow carbon emissions just from burning natural gas. Um, and, and I just wondered, did, did IHS market take a look at that and, and have any reaction to that, that particular study? I suspect it's the first of many that we will see about blue hydrogen. I did notice uh, Robert Howarth coming out with another another report using, I think, the sort of worst case numbers possible. Yeah. 
yeah. um, for methane emissions. I mean, our view would be that, of course, of course, we need to minimize methane emissions, methane leakages. I think we're all agreed that they're a bad thing, whether they're happening uh, from biomass, from agriculture, from coal, yeah. or from oil and gas. They need to be minimized. So our report particularly takes on that we must uh, we must push to a maximum the three M's, the M's of monitoring, mitigating, and measuring emissions. And I think that the technology in this area is really exciting, whether yeah. lights or drones, or indeed less less sophisticated technology, but sometimes more effective. We are really understanding where the leaks are happening. That leads to bad publicity, but it means we can reduce very dramatically, I think, the level of leaks. And we must do. We must do for all forms of energy, and I think we can do. And thank you for bringing that up, because I don't think a lot of people really realize that the technology that exists right now can detect leaks in pipelines really easy <coughs> and stop that. And that's a simple fix compared to some of the other uh, solutions, costly, expensive, and long-term solutions. These could be relatively quick. Yeah, I heard one chief executive say that tightening the valves on the pipes was probably the highest rate of return investment he'd ever seen in his career. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, so, so let's talk about another part, part of the report. Uh, you know, natural gas uh, is used as a feedstock uh, in all manner of industrial applications uh, and currently. I, I does your report take a view on how this move to net zero is going to impact that? I mean, are there reasonable substitutes for, for using natural gas in, in those kinds of applications? I think that's probably the area where it's hardest to get uh, substitutes. Hydrogen yeah. come in. I think it's really the one which should be the uh, the last holdout for natural gas. And then if you want to uh, minimize emissions, I think we bring in carbon capture. I think natural gas with carbon capture will often be um, the right way to go in these industrial processes, particularly with them. Um, when we think of the cement industry and possibly the oh, yeah. 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 And then we see enormous investments being made right now in carbon capture. I mean, ExxonMobil is, is made it into an entire new business unit for their company. A huge, huge potential. And one thing that I hadn't actually understood well in this study was the, um, the importance or the partnership between natural gas and carbon capture and storage. I had associated carbon capture slightly more with the coal industry. Mm -hmm. uh, to some extent, of course, it has a role to play in oil with uh, the refining business. But actually, the big opportunity is in industrial process heat where natural gas is used. And I think that's going to be the critical area. Very good. Last question, Michael, before we leave. U.S. Uh, LNG exports, huge. What does IHS market uh, see for now when we involve this net zero? Um, what's the... Uh, the future for this area here in the United States ex on exporting LNG. Do you see it remaining strong? I hope so, because whilst we in certain quarters question uh, natural gas use in, in, in Europe and North America, there's a whole world out there that's desperate for this fuel. It's growing strongly. And those net zero trajectories, if they, if they exist at all, are delayed further out in time. 
And LNG and natural gas is the absolutely critical stopgap solution for meeting the energy, energy needs and the energy growth in a sustainable way, in an affordable way. And the United States has an absolutely key role there in providing um, that natural gas to them. And the United States has the opportunity to make sure that that gas is responsibly sourced and that it is liquefied with the most efficient technologies and properly monitored and then delivered to these countries that have this need for it. So that, I think there is a meeting, a meeting of interest there that we really need to make sure happens. Well, I'm sure that the Port of Corpus Christi, who is a great partner to uh, in the Oil Patch Radio Show, will be very happy to hear that. It's, I'm sure they're well aware of that, but they are also starting processes of blue hydrogen. Also, um, they are the number one net exporter in natural gas for North America. So they're definitely doing something right. And it's good to hear that you all feel IHS market that it'll remain strong in the United States. Michael, before we let you go, your report, I'm sure our listeners would want to go and look for it in depth and read the whole entire article. Where can they find this report that you guys have released? Yeah, it is uh, local. It can be requested on our website. If you go to our website and if you Google sustainable flame, you will find it and it will take you to the landing page. And then if you just share an email and your details, we'll get a copy out, a copy out to you. Very good. Well, once again, on behalf of David and myself, thank you for coming and stopping here at In the Oil Patch Radio Show and talking to us about your latest report. Until next time when we bring IHS Market back on, we look forward to having you guys on in the future. Keep up the good work, and thank you for joining us again. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.